Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the NBA Podcast. Before we get underway to talk about the All-Star Game and some major injuries, quick reminder to follow us on Twitter, at the NBA Pod. In there, you can find all three of our Twitter handles as well, so be sure to give us a follow. You can find us on iTunes. Be sure to subscribe, to download, to leave us some reviews. We'd love to hear any feedback you have. And also, we're being hosted this year on FanRag Sports, so check them out on Twitter, at FanRag Sports, and for their NBA content, at FanRagNBA. With all that said, today, I am joined, as always, by Sarah Chalea. How's it going, Sarah? Going pretty good. I had a, had a decent night last night, so I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, you did. Just, just for those who don't know, Sarah's Spurs beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in overtime. Kawhi Leonard had a career-high 41 points, again validating Sarah's assertion that he is <laughs> not a sister. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Some player, turns out he's actually just pretty damn good. Hmm. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> uh, our third co-host, Morton Jensen, cannot join us today. He is recovering from his honeymoon, but he will be back soon. Hopefully to talk about the Bulls inevitably trading Jimmy Butler for a sack of peanuts. <laughs> uh, today we're going to get started here to talk about the All-Star Game starters. They were announced Thursday. Uh, just to quickly go over them, in the East we have Kyrie Irving and DeMar DeRozan starting in the backcourt. We have LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Jimmy Butler in the front court. In the West we have... Stephen Curry and James Harden in the backcourt, and we have the aforementioned Kawhi Leonard, along with Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis in the front court. So, Sarah, I want to ask you this, because there are two guys in particular who stand out as pretty big snubs, you could argue. One of them is Kyle Lowry in the East. There's a lot of confusion over how he got uh, passed up by his own teammate, DeMar DeRozan. Uh, and then in the West, we have Mr. Triple-Double himself, Russell Westbrook, who missed out. Uh, he, Stephen Curry, and um, and James Harden all finished with the same weighted score, but because Westbrook finished third in the fan vote, 
he missed out on being a starter. So we're going to be victimized by an even angrier Russell Westbrook the next three months. So Sarah, who do you think's the bigger snub of the two, Westbrook or Kyle Lowry? You know, and I think def- definitely Westbrook deserved to start, um, but because it was Steph who's still having a really good year who got in over him, it's, you know, it, it kind of makes sense. Plus, he's very popular with fans. I'm surprised, though. Like, if you noticed when I was voting, I was voting for Kyle and, like, Marcus All, and I got some votes for Embiid in there. <laughs> but I was voting for guys that, like, I thought weren't going to be taken care of overwhelmingly by other fans, right. you know, so, so I, I figured Russ and, and Harden were in there, so I didn't bother voting for them, um, so I was a little surprised by that, but I, I definitely think that Kyle Howery is, is a big oversight, and I think a lot of it is because, I guess, efficiency still isn't valued as, like, a top <laughs> priority over points, right. um, because he is scoring well and he's super efficient and you know he's been compared uh, you've seen it float around twitter that this season he's having is not far off of what Steph did last year mm-hmm. and you know i guess i guess that just didn't come across to to everybody overwhelmingly unfortunately i think he'll still be on the team i would certainly hope so but um so i kind of feel like that's the bigger snub just because i don't think I mean people were upset about Russ not making it. I don't think as many people were upset about Kyle. Right. Yeah, I I'm right with you a hundred percent of the way. Uh, I mean, I'm not surprised that uh, the fan vote for Steph is what clinched mm-hmm. it for him over Russ. Uh, you know, the Warriors. It seems like you know look <laughs> look at Zaza Pachulia who finished yeah. second in the fan vote in Western <laughs> Conference. Front court fan voting, uh, the Warriors, you know, they got their fans out to vote. Um, so I, I, and I guess Zaza's entire country voted for him Mm -hmm. for the second straight year. But yeah, I mean, Curry, their entire starting lineup, I think finished, yeah, within the top five of fan votes for their respective positions. So not totally shocked by that. That's, you know, Westbrook and the player rank and the media rank finished number one. So that was just a weird tiebreaker thing. He's he's obviously going to make it. I, yeah. I think Kyle Lowry, same thing. Uh, you know, he should be safe, as you mentioned. But, yeah, I mean, that that's the one that stands out as weird to me because he finished lower than DeMar in all three. DeMar was third in fan vote, third in player vote, second in media vote. Kyle was fifth in fan vote, fifth in player vote, fourth in media vote. So... Yeah. I might, maybe I'm just missing something. I mean, I know DeMar's having a great year, but I don't know how anyone can make the argument that Kyle Lowry's not the best player on the Raptors right now. Yeah. Uh, and maybe it's like just a weird thing where, you know, maybe people are in, have it in their heads like, oh, we can't start two point guards together, so we'll just put DeMar DeRozan in there as a, as a nominal two guard. Or maybe Kyle Lowry gets squeezed out because so many point guards in the East are actually having really good years. You know, you have mm-hmm. Kyrie... Uh, Isaiah Thomas, you have John Wall, you have Kemba, you know, it's, he had some tough competition, but the fact that he finished lower in every category than DeMar, that was the big surprise to me. So I, I, you know, we, you said it, I think both guys are, will be comfortably in once the, uh, reserves are announced 
I believe it's this coming Thursday. But yeah, I would love to know what in the hell, the, especially the players in the media, what were you thinking with DeRozan mm-hmm. ahead of Kyle Lowry? You're right. I think it probably did come down to the point guard thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the same reason Russ isn't in. Yeah, and we we try to say every year just because you don't make it doesn't mean people don't know you're great. It's that's one of the most stacked positions in the league, and you got one spot in the starters. I mean, I know we don't technically strictly do position anymore, but it seems like yeah, you don't often get more than one point guard. Yeah, and yeah, Demar probably was helped by not being a point guard. So. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, I mean, this is the first year of this new all-star voting system. It used to be the fans decided 100% of the way. This year, fans get 50%, players get 25%, media gets 25%. So, had this system not been in effect, it would have been a little different. Uh, Joel Embiid would have been a starter in the East. Uh, Kyrie and Dwayne would have been the two starters in the backcourt. Uh, Zaza Pachulia would have been starting mm-hmm. in the West. Uh, so what are your thoughts on this new format? Are you a fan? Do you think there are, uh, do you think you're, you're cool with it as is, or do you think there are tweaks that could be made, or do you want to just go back to the old way? Well, first of all, I don't really want to hear much criticism of the fans from here on out, and yeah. I know we will. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I don't think we got it right still. And from what we were hearing about some of the returns on player votes, it seems like they didn't take it as seriously as even the fans have been the mm-hmm. last few years. So as like a large number of people didn't vote, period. And the ones who did, there were votes for, you know, bench players got like I think Ben Simmons got some votes, yep. other people who haven't played. Mm-hmm. So if they're not gonna take it seriously, I don't know that they need a vote. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. I I I don't think that it was okay that you know Dwayne Wade was going to be starting when you know there again we wanted Kyle Lowry to be in there because he deserves it. But I don't know. There's the argument that it is just a game for the fans, except that it isn't because you know we've talked about before the financial things that are built into that. It's not just I mean about that. It it counts with all NBA and other things too. So. I don't know. It's, I go back and forth between just let the fans have what they want, but at the same time, we don't ever need Zaza as a starter <laughs> right. in the All-Star game. Right. So, right. what do you I, think? Yeah, I think exactly for that reason, I'm glad they switched. Yeah. Like They dodged a major bullet had <laughs> Zaza beaten out Anthony Davis. Like That would have been yeah. a catastrophe, um, especially because you know, for Anthony Davis, literally that is what cost mm-hmm. him $25 million last year, and in the new CBA, they got rid of the all-star starts being a factor for the Rose Rule. But I assume you could still have all-star appearances like as mm-hmm. a bonus in your contract. I'm not Probably. 100% sure on that. I don't think it will be like a $25 million difference like it was for <laughs> Brow. But you know, I- I'm sure there are still some financial uh, ramifications. And hell, like even when we talk about you know Hall of Fame voting... That's true. Down the line, yeah. like it's stupid. It's stupid to consider all star appearances, but it happens. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm with you. I mean, I do think it's good that we this new system is better than just 100 percent of the fan vote because I think they got it more right than than the fan vote would have. You know, I as much as I love Joel Embiid and wanted him in mm-hmm. the All Star game uh, and still want him in the All Star game for what it's worth. 
reserve picks. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I don't think you can argue LeBron, Giannis, and Jimmy Butler having the three best seasons of anyone as in the front court. I'm really East. happy for Jimmy because yeah. I, you know, it seemed like he was going to get overlooked, and he's yeah, he's working his butt off. Yeah, like I, I, these are very, you know, the Kyle Lowry and Russ things are like pretty minor quibbles compared yeah. to like we, you know, the last couple of years we've had the honorary Kobe Bryant appearance, even though he <laughs> right. was literally just pretty bad and was weighing his team down. Uh, so I think there are tweaks to be made, as you mentioned, the player, especially, uh, you know. It's it's crazy that players who haven't played at all got votes. That's I mean I'm sure that happened with the fans too. But you know maybe it's just a matter of tweaking the percentages that account for. So like maybe fans get fifty percent and media gets thirty five and players get fifteen or something like that until the players prove that they will take it more seriously. Yeah. Um. But also, you know, that's tough for the players because, like, they might have, there there really might be financial ramifications for them. So it's, like, hard to ask them to vote on a system that could affect them. Uh, so maybe it does, maybe it is a thing where it turns into a fan and media and you remove the player thing. Um, so it, I think it's definitely a better system than what we had before, but still not perfect. So I'm sure Adam Silver and company will... Um, reevaluate in, in the coming months and kind of see where to go from there. So now we need to talk about some injuries because this is a bad week on the NBA front for injuries. The biggest one uh, was Chris Paul, who suffered a torn ligament in his left thumb Monday against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, he will be out, presumably avoiding any setbacks. He will be out for the next six to eight weeks. Blake Griffin is nearing his return. They say he's possible to come back in the next week or two Um, but the Clippers have lost their last two games without Chris Paul including a blowout at the hands of Denver 25 point route on Saturday you know we talked about the Clippers last time uh, and we were saying you know they're kind of sneaking up as this sixth or seventh seed that could kind of upset the balance of the playoffs but now with CP3 out uh, you know until mid to late March they're probably still going to make the playoffs, but at this point, their chemistry is going to be pretty shaky because Blake and Chris, again, just like last year, haven't played together yeah. for three months. So, Sarah, what do you think they do here? Or how should they uh, proceed heading into the trade deadline? Should they you know, do what they've done and stay the course and just hope Chris comes back, avoids any setbacks, and see if they can make some noise as one of these lower seeds? Uh or should they, should they blow things up and try to trade? Uh, I guess Blake because he's going to be the healthy one. But you know, both he and Chris Paul can become free agents in July. It's, it's uh, I think they're fine because they're just going to drop seven and be a really bad matchup for the Spurs in the first <laughs> round. Um, I mean, we've talked about this a lot, you know, in a, in the young life of our podcast. And generally, I've always been on the side of keep it together, you know, because they're so close that I think being close is better than blowing it up and trying to figure out how good you can get. Um, But I generally, you know, I usually do that with the thought of what the team should do, and I'm not thinking about 
the fact that Blake or Chris could decide to go wherever they want, and maybe they don't want to stick around. So, obviously, uh, it behooves the team to, to sit those guys down and, sit, you know, maybe they don't know exactly what they want to do yet. That would be fair, but try to get a good idea of where they are. Do they do they want to keep this together, or you know, how do they feel about it? Because they definitely have been through a lot to the point that it, it almost does feel like, wow, it's just not going to happen for these guys, mm-hmm. like, every year, they just have some really bad luck. But I still personally, I think you, if they want to be together at all, then I do everything I can to keep them together because they are still a really good team if they can stay on the floor, you know, when they are on the floor. Yeah. So that would be my answer. But, yeah, it, it's been rough. I feel really bad for the the team, the fans, the players. You know, they just can't make it through a season lately. Yeah, but they're they're so good that you want to see them stay together. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think I think you're totally right. They need to have serious conversation with Blake and Chris. You know, prior to February 23rd, and kind of gauge where they are in terms of free agency. I mean. It sounds like both guys still like being there, and the Clippers are not going to. I don't think they're going to try to lowball them and try to get them for anything less than the max. I think they're willing to pay the max. So if those guys are willing to stay and the Clippers are willing to shell out that money, then yeah, I mean, you know, we you mentioned we've talked about this before. Like it is very hard to assemble a core big three as good as those guys, and you know, CP3 is past thirty, but. DeAndre and Blake are still on the right side of 30. Like, they're not, all things considered, they still have some prime years left in them before, yeah. you know, it's not like we're talking about the 2015-16 Spurs here. Like, they've, <laughs> their big three are still pretty young. So, I, I do think if those two guys say they are willing to re-sign and hope to re-sign, then yeah, you, you stay the course. And as you mentioned, like, it could be a blessing in disguise in a weird way to get a matchup with uh, the Spurs or even with Houston in the first round. As long as they, you know, as long as they don't fall to eight and get the Warriors in the first round, yeah. Because then, you know, <laughs> <laughs> then they probably do not make it out of the first round, and then you have to worry, I think, a little bit more about Blake or Chris. You know, maybe seeing that as a sign of regression and potentially leaving. But, yeah, I mean, I I don't think they're going to make major moves. I don't think they need to go, like, trade Blake Griffin for Carmelo Anthony or anything like that. Uh, I I think it would be very wise for them to stay the course and just hope Chris and Blake can can just play together for, you know, they're they're so fun. Like, I, it's mm-hmm. it sucks that we haven't been able to see them together for more than, like, 20 games in the last year and a half at this point. It's so, crazy. Uh, hopefully, I mean, we're, we'd like to uh, send our condolences to Clippers fans, but yes. hopefully you guys still have a fun March and April and even May ahead of you guys. Uh, so, Chris, that was the big one, but there were a couple other injuries we needed to talk about as well. Uh, Rudy Gay in Sacramento suffered a torn Achilles tendon Wednesday against the Indiana Pacers. He is obviously done for the year. Um, Garrett Temple started for him the first game after his injury. I believe Aaron Aflalo started for him against the Bulls on Saturday. Um, 
but the Kings have dropped, I think, now six straight and nine of their past ten. So they are rapidly falling out of the playoff race. Uh, so at this point, we have to ask, Sarah, which direction do you think they should take heading into the trade deadline? Should they be buyers or sellers? <laughs> um, seller if you can. I think you mentioned that they might look to trade a flallow. Yeah, I thought a flallow was pretty good in New York. <laughs> It hasn't been, you know, a terrific season for him this year, but <laughs> I think you say, I wonder do the Kings do that when they're calling other teams? Be like, okay, so, you know, this hasn't been a terrific season for him, but, <laughs> you know, this is basketball hell, remember? Right. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. do they sell it like that? I don't know. Yeah. They should probably try. But, um, yeah, see what, you, see what you can do. I, it sucks for Rudy Gay. I, I can't believe that that happened. Just God, I hate injuries so much. Yeah. Especially like a rupture like that or torn tendon of any kind. But, you know, so it seemed like he was, you know, destined to leave mm-hmm. and now now that's all gone haywire. But yeah. Sell sell whatever you can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh as you met or alluded to, so ESPN.com's Mark Stein reported in the wake of Gay's injury, they are likely to shop both Flalo and Ben McLemore, who just cannot get any traction in Sacramento. Uh, Willie Cauley-Stein also voiced some frustration, I think, last night or Friday night, basically saying, like, you know, I, I was putting some good things on tape last year, and now I'm barely seeing the court. Mm. Pretty frustrating. I, You know, I, I thought I, I was looking like a steal, and now <laughs> I'm barely playing. Um you know, we we talked about the DeMarcus Cousins theoretical extension last time, so I don't necessarily think you trade Boogie and just totally blow it up. You know, that said, this the Kings were pushing for the playoffs this year. They wanted to open their new arena and get a playoff berth and have some good juju moving forward. You know, that was always stupid. Like, I, they're, <laughs> they're just not that good of a team. And even even if you make it into the playoffs, like... You're just going to be a first round knockout. I mean, you you need you really need to get some long term pieces around Boogie. I think the interesting question uh, with this gay injury now is so as you mentioned, you know, he has a player option that he was widely expected to turn down. Um, I think Adrian Wojnarowski of the Vertical reported even prior to the season that he had informed Kings management he was going to decline his player option. And he was not going to resign there, which made him like the, I would say, one of the top targets uh, mm-hmm. to be moved at the trade deadline. I think it was widely expected that he would be moved in the next month, especially if the Kings fell further out of the playoff race, which now it seems like they're likely to do. So if Rudy Gay, you know, now there's talk that he might even just opt into his player option for the 2017 18 season to give himself financial security as he recovers from this injury. We've seen, you know, a guy like Wes Matthews, he tore his Achilles in March, I believe, and made it back to the court. I think he only missed, like, two games. Uh, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, so, like, it's it's not a death sentence, but as we've seen with Wes, it took him a full year, basically, to start looking like the player he used to be. So what do you think Sacramento should do with Rudy Gay? I mean... 
if he if he opts in, I think you just have to wait and see what happens with him, and then maybe they trade him at next year's trade deadline. But if he does not, if he decides to decline his player option, do you think they should pursue re-signing him at a discounted price, or do you think Gay should turn down the player option, or should he, uh, you know, take advantage of that and stay in Sacramento one more year? That's uh, that's really complicated. Uh, I think. I think everything should really just be on hold right now. I mean, if if I were him, I think I'd probably opt in. But it's tough because it doesn't seem like that's where he wants to be. Mm-hmm. But and the team, they're just gonna have to wait and see. You know, I like we said, we assume he'll opt in. And no, I mean, if he if he doesn't, I don't think you pursue resigning him because I think down the road, hopefully, he gets healthy and everything is fine and after a while but even so I think you're just going to end up right back where you were this <laughs> right. year where he doesn't he doesn't want to be here so that would be my answer to that yeah I, I think that's the right the right call uh you know if he was so clearly devoted to leaving so much yeah. that he informed management that he was going to before this devastating injury yeah I think unless you can get him at like a bargain basement price you don't try resigning him because you know it's not a death knell necessarily, but it will likely take him a while to look like the player that he was. And he was playing at a very high level prior to this injury. Like he was playing far better than most people expected him to this year, but there's no guarantee that continues. And again, with Boogie, like you are in the midst of his prime right now. So you don't really have a full year (laughs) to waste while, you know, a guy in his, I think gay is in his thirties now, uh, takes a year to recover. So we'll see what happens with Rudy Gay. But for now, just keeping our fingers crossed that all goes well with his recovery and he can make it back to the court, hopefully early in the 2017-18 season. Yes. The other big injury of the week was to your Spurs, Sarah. Pau Gasol, he uh, broke the fourth metacarpal in his left hand after colliding with Kyle Anderson during warm-ups prior to the Spurs win over Denver on Thursday night. Definitely one of the weirder stories you see, you know, yeah. the Pau's in the starting lineup and all of a sudden he's not <laughs> anymore. Um, David Lee has started in his place in the past two games. He's played pretty well, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Sarah, tell us what Pau's injury means for the Spurs and who is going to step up in his absence. Is it just going to be David Lee or is Dwayne Dedman going to get a little bit uh, more run? That was such a freak injury, and I, like, terrified and paranoid about hands now. <laughs> you know, you had Chris Paul, Pal, Kawhi has had trouble with his hands before. I think he had the same injury a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. And just, like, this week he keeps looking at his hand, even last night in the game. He came out at one point, and he was looking at his hand and asked to come out in a very tight game in the fourth quarter. Oh, God. So, yeah, I almost had several heart attacks. <laughs> but... <laughs> They're just scary. It's amazing how how easily a hand can be busted. Yeah, it's just literally broken. But um, I think it's to your question. It's just going to be a a combination of guys who are going to step up, and it'll probably depend on matchups. Uh, you'll you'll see Dwayne obviously. David Lee has been really really good for us this year. Like it's amazing how well he's fit in and how productive he's been. Mm-hmm. Um. You could even get some Davis Bertans. Just kind of depends on 
what you're up against. But we, we might even, you know, have some, some healthy appreciation for what Powell has done when he's been on the court. So, you know, because he actually, he honestly has been very good offensively and at times defensively as well. You know, it just depends. The whole team is struggling right now with, with pick and roll. Mm-hmm. It's last night even, it was an issue. Um, and even, I think sometimes the switch everything defense that has become more prevalent, especially with the rise of the Warriors the last couple of years, mm-hmm. it causes some problems. You know, you even saw it on the, the last play of the game in overtime last night. Um, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, nobody let anybody get open for a three here. <laughs> and Kevin Love just waltzes <laughs> over to the corner wide open. He's like, what the hell just happened? But... Um, it was obviously a miscommunication, you know, they were, they were trying to switch and they both jumped out onto, I think it was Kyrie, Kawhi and, uh, Kyle Anderson both jumped out and there goes Kevin Love. So there's plenty to work on, but Powell has been good offensively and he, he actually has helped with spacing. Um, he's been really good from the mid range this year, like best in the league. So that'll be interesting to see how we overcome that. Uh, but but David Lee's been a beast on the boards. Mm-hmm. He's actually scored really well too. Um, he's obviously not spacing quite like Powell would, but you know we'll take it. I appreciate everything he's done, and uh, you know we'll just see. We'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I'm I've been very impressed with how David Lee has mm-hmm. uh, kind of you know he, he was he's been a reserve the entire year basically and been playing well off the bench but it's good to see like the he's basically like the old david lee right now he's putting up yeah especially as you mentioned on on the glasses but you know he's really been very impressive um and you know <laughs> as you said uh pow is not necessarily a huge help on defense so david lee is not necessarily a massive downgrade in that regard i think you know he is but not uh it's not like you're going from Tim Duncan to David Lee. Um, right. But yeah, I think you're right that it will give some healthy appreciation of what Pau has done because, you know, he was definitely struggled to start the year, but he's really rounded into form uh, the past month, month mm-hmm. and a half. So, uh, you know, again, this is kind of like with the Clippers, it's not going to be an injury that will affect what happens in the playoffs. Pau is expected back before then. I think they said, uh, ESPN.com, Michael Wright said he's likely out four to eight weeks, so he should be back with plenty of time before the playoffs. Do you think this opens the door for Houston to sneak in as the number two seed? I mean, I think it's, it's been open because it's not a huge gap, but, you know, we are getting to the point in the season where, you know, I just think it gets harder to overcome. It's, it's three or four games now in the loss column, and they're going to continue to lose some games. You know, it's not like they're, they get on hot streaks, but they're going to drop some bad ones too. So I honestly, I expect the Spurs to, to keep ahead of them, but we'll see that they could definitely have some, some bad nights because they are going to have to figure this out on the fly. They're relying a lot more on Kawhi right now. And strangely enough, like that's been one of my knocks on Houston, as far as going into the playoffs, because I just think when when so much of what you do is relying upon one guy, it can be a problem. And the Spurs aren't designed that way, and they still, like when Tony's healthy, he's still going to initiate some offense. Manu is, Patty is. But right now, especially coming down the end of games, it's Kawhi, Kawhi, Kawhi. So 
it, it's it's a, a change for us, you know, that we haven't seen in a while. Um, and we'll see how, how that works. But, I mean, if I got to ride one guy, I'm pretty happy with having Kawhi. Yeah, I mean... I don't think you know. If, I don't think there's much of a difference between the two and the three seed for the Spurs. So if they fall to the three, you know, it's not like they're flying to Golden State for that matchup. Right. Houston is very close to San Antonio, so it's not the end of the world if they do fall. And you know, Kawhi against Harden for a seven-game series. I don't think home court advantage is going to help very much either way there. So, I, if I'm a Spurs fan, I'm not sweating this pal injury too hard of the three this week it is definitely the most easily overcome so now let's talk a little bit about some trade rumors as we've mentioned the trade deadline is coming up on february 23rd uh the big news this week was on tuesday the verticals adrian wojnarowski reported the timberwolves were quote actively shopping ricky rubio uh, he added that they were seeking a bridge guard in return, a player capable of starting in the short term, but someone who will ultimately settle into a backup role and give way to rookie Chris Dunn once he becomes the long-term starter. So that's a very <laughs> a very vague description of what they are looking <laughs> for. And frankly, it sounds like they are looking for Ricky Rubio. Who, <laughs> uh, but on Friday... Uh, ESPN.com's Mark Stein and Chris Haynes reported the Pistons and Timberwolves had discussed a multiplayer deal structured around Rubio and Reggie Jackson, which uh, Pistons head coach and team president Stan Van Gundy emphatically denied on Saturday. Uh, Woj also said the Kings had expressed interest in Rubio, but Minnesota wanted to hold out for a better return because, especially with Rudy Gay having gone down, the Kings have very little in terms of desirable assets, thanks to one Sam Hinkie pillaging them last <laughs> summer. So, Sarah, what do you think about the Wolves being so aggressive with shopping Rubio? It's a little surprising. Um, I understand, though, because, you know, I mean, you even posed a question in our, in our outline about, uh, you know, who could be looking for that, and I don't really have an answer. Um, there's not too many teams that are looking for that. You know, you kind of need your point guard to be a shooting threat. Um, you know, I think of like Houston and Pat Beverly, but that's kind of almost an inverse inversion of it because they they don't need him to run the show, but he's a three and D guy. So you know, Rubio's gonna run the show wherever he goes because that's what he does. But, you know, there's no three in the three and D equation, and it's a little bit of a problem, too. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I understand why they're kind of looking around, but that trade didn't really make sense to me because Reggie Jackson is not the guy who's going to come in and, and be, like we talked about, flexible. That's, right. that's not his, his top uh, skill. Right. But, I don't know, I didn't didn't absolutely hate it for the Pistons in theory, uh, because their chemistry was really nice. Um, kind of before Reggie came back and then unfortunately it all got disrupted, but it didn't really make sense for either team. So I don't know where the rumor came from. Seems like it's probably just a rumor. I mean, I'm, they may have been looking into it, mm -hmm. but don't think there was much to it. Uh, I don't know. What, what do you think about the Rubio shopping? Yeah. I mean, for the, specifically about the Reggie Jackson Rubio thing. I think Van Gundy said like 
the discussion may have happened, but at this point we're basically like everyone is being discussed. It's like, right. is it becoming, is it progressing? Is it moving into like a serious conversation? Absolutely not. But you know, every team he's like, look, we're getting calls on Andre Drummond and Reggie. Like we're, we're taking those calls. We're just hanging mm-hmm. up once they lowball <laughs> us, once they pull a Danny Ainge. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I get it in a sense why they're shopping him because, you know, this season is down the toilet. They're not going to make the playoffs in all likelihood. Uh, he doesn't have too much longer on his contract. So this is a kind of a, you know, get the most value out of him before his contract runs out and he produces a much less desirable return. Um, it's hard to think of many good fits, though. Like, it had... Had the Sixers not drafted Ben Simmons and had they taken Brandon Ingram first, that would be an obvious place. But because Ben Simmons is going to basically be the point guard um, and, you know, had <laughs> has some shooting difficulties of his own, mm-hmm. uh, the thought of a Rubio Simmons, I just, I don't know how that works out. And it keeps me up at night to think that Brian Colangelo is running the team and still <laughs> might make that deal. Um, you know, maybe like, the Knicks, if they wanted to swap Rose and Rubio, and then if you know if the Timberwolves were just looking for cap space and Rose can leave this summer, you know, again, it doesn't make much sense because I guess Rubio could fit in as your longish term point guard, but neither of those teams are really going anywhere. It kind of feels like spinning wheels. Uh, the one that could be interesting is New Orleans if they wanted to swap Drew Holiday with Rubio. I think you know Holiday is a better player, but Holiday is also a free agent at the end of this year. And ESPN.com Zach Lowe had a really interesting column about the Pelicans the other day and kind of how they needed to figure it out and figure it out quick because uh, you know Anthony Davis is signed long term, but. You need to start showing some kind of progress in the next few years. So he was talking about how Holiday, you know, might sign for upwards of $20 million a year. And that's a lot to commit for a guy um, with his injury history in particular. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it would limit their cap flexibility as well to add additional pieces. So if you're looking for a guy on a cheaper contract... And, you know, or if you're, if you decide, like, we just don't have the flexibility to sign Drew Holiday, maybe you do that and, you know, hope, hope you can get like Shabazz Muhammad, um, attached in return. According to Simon Haynes, uh, Minnesota has been willing to include him in trade talks as well. Uh, so maybe something like Drew for Rubio and Shabazz, or maybe New Orleans has to throw in something else to make that a little more enticing for Minnesota. But aside from that, like, you know, we've we talked about this in previous podcasts. The point guard position is just so stacked right now that yeah, it's hard to it find is. many teams desperate for a starter. Like, it's really only basically Sacramento, New York, and Philly. And Philly, that's only going to last for another month or so until Ben Simmons comes back. So uh, unless you take advantage of a team that's afraid they're going to lose their point guard in free agency... Uh, Minnesota might have to lower its asking price a little bit. So we'll see what happens with Rubio in the coming weeks. I'm sure this will not be the last time his name comes up in trade talks. 
So last thing in our since the last time section before we go into our Greg Popovich love fest of the week, we did talk about my Sixers who, uh, you know, they on December 29th, they were seven and 24. They were uh, they, at that point, they had the worst record in the league. It looked like, you know, they'd be pretty solidly in the top three for lottery standings. I was getting dreams of Markel Fultz in a Sixers jersey. Over their last 11 games, they've gone 8-3. and three. Uh, ESPN, I think their NBA on ESPN Twitter account shared a, a good graphic yesterday that, like, since the start of 2017, the Sixers had a better record than all but, like, three or four teams. Uh, yeah. So they've, like, basically begun resembling a real basketball team. And it's worth noting that two of their three losses over that span came without Joel Embiid in the lineup. Uh, ben Simmons... As I alluded to uh, when we were talking about Rubio, he may make his debut soon. Uh, according to ESPN.com's Chris Haynes, could be after the All-Star break. Uh, soon after the All-Star break, you know, I would assume they will be careful with him, much like they have been with Simmons, limit his minutes at the beginning. I don't think he's going to hit the ground running playing 35 minutes a night, but there is at least signed that he will be back within the next month or so. So, Sarah, do you think my Sixers are a legitimate playoff threat now, or are they still too far back? I want to say they're a threat, um, but I have to color that with the fact that we follow a lot of Bulls fans, <laughs> and there's a lot of doom and gloom yeah. <laughs> constantly. Um, so that probably that probably changes my perception from what is completely real. I mean, don't get me wrong, they're... They're in trouble, and it could, it could completely fall apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like they're definitely trying a lot of different uh, rotations. There's absolutely no shooting, which was our <laughs> fear coming into the year. Right. So it it could go south, um, but no, it's still it's still not likely yeah. that the Sixers are going to make the playoffs, especially because Embiid's still going to have a lot of scheduled days off. Uh, if he's in the lineup every night, you might have to start sweating your picks, right? No, <laughs> but, I, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, they're they're gonna be really fun, but they're probably not not quite a playoff team yet. Yeah, I'm, like, like how would you really? I know you'd be upset. But it's such a weird position to be in. Like you'd have to somewhat enjoy it too, though, if they slipped in just for <laughs> for the city. Yeah, I I would. I mean, if only because you know, I think this. Losing culture BS was overblown. I think it was really right. just like we just they just didn't have talent. And mm-hmm. uh, ESPN.com, I think, and Micah Hayes shared a really interesting stat a couple days ago. With them beating the lineup, they have the scoring margin of a 56 win team. Without him, <laughs> they're an 11 win team. So it's like Jeez. it's not you know it, it's very obvious what changed. And his name is Joel Embiid. And with him in the lineup. They are a competitive, fun team, and without him in the lineup, they get their clocks clean most nights. Um, so I think for the reason you alluded to specifically, the fact that he will most likely have more scheduled days off, uh, especially on back-to-backs, he just hyperextended his left knee on Friday, uh, and you know he came back into the game, but then sat out the last couple minutes against Portland. Uh, it it sure, it sure looked scary uh, mm-hmm. at the time, and then he, I think he had a sprained left ankle recently as well, and another one that like he went down 
and you could just hear the entire crowd go silent. Like, oh God, not again. So you guys got to learn how to land. Yeah, somebody's got to teach. Oh you. my God, I know. It's I I just like I break it into a cold sweat every time I watch him play because he's so dynamic and so fun. But oh God, like every single time he even remotely limps or winces, I just like. Tent, my entire body tenses up and I'm just like no 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 mm-hmm. no no not <laughs> not now we've it's been too fun you can't get hurt now so yeah I think it's probably a year too early to start thinking about the playoffs um and yeah as you as you mentioned like you know a couple of weeks ago again I was thinking Markel Fultz or you know the Lakers pick was looking pretty good in terms of you know probably falling in that like five to seven range which there will be a chance that would convey to the Sixers. So I'm thinking like, all right, they're going to have a top five pick and another top eight pick. So I'm getting dream, like grand visions of, you know, Simmons and Bead paired with two more top tier lottery picks. Uh, and now I'm getting a little nervous. So I, I would like them, you know, if it happens, I'm not going to root against them in the playoffs. Like I, right, right. it would be super fun. And you know, if they're the eight seed and the play, they play the Cavs and Embiid gets to go against, you know, playoff caliber basketball against a championship team, uh, that's only going to help his development. But it wouldn't surprise me if <laughs> they need one more year. But, you know, I do have to, in a sense, I have to give credit to Brian Colangelo because, you know, he made, I, I think the biggest move he's made since taking over as president was trading uh, Jeremy Grant for Ersan Ilyasova, who's played very, very well, especially alongside Embiid. Um, it's kind of given the team a sense of direction moving forward. Like, I don't know that the Noel-Embiid lineup, like starting those two guys together, I don't know if that's the right move. It seems like you put a stretch four next to Embiid, and the Sixers are very hard to guard, especially if you have Covington or another, like, good 3 and D guy at the 3. So, I, you know, I got to give credit where credit is due and, you know, praise Brian Colangelo <laughs> for making that move because uh, it was it was a good one, even if it's costing the Sixers some lottery balls. Uh, you know, now it's... <laughs> it's amazing. Like, we should mark this moment in time now. And just praise yeah. Brian Colangelo. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's a month until the trade deadline. You have to figure... <laughs> one of Noel or Okafor leaving in the next month. Um, so let's, I'm going to hold off my, hold off my big praise okay. until then, because Fair. I still worry, you know, that I would like to note that this, this sudden surge has basically come with Noel reentering the rotation and Okafor getting DNP CDs for most of that stretch. Uh, because you have Embiid and Noel Pretty much, you have one of them on the court at all times as a good rim protector, and like suddenly the Sixers play good defense. Who who saw that coming? <laughs> totally shocked. Uh, so, you know, I would I would only hope that this stretch would, you know, kind of tell Colangelo like our choice has been made. We have to stick with Noel instead of Okafor. But I'm not going to hold my breath. Uh, <laughs> All right, so let's head into our Where Amazing Happened segment. Uh, Before we talk about Greg Popovich, because he had a lot of amazing things this week, uh, we need to address this Carmelo Anthony, Phil Jackson beef 
I guess it would be the only word to describe what happened this week. So, on Tuesday, ESPN.com's Ramona Shelburne broke the news that Phil Jackson was meeting with Carmelo uh, to ask him if he wanted to remain with the Knicks, to which Melo responded affirmatively. The drama apparently started with Charlie Rosen, who is a longtime Phil confidant and a current writer for FanRag Sports. Uh, he wrote an article saying Mello had, quote, outlived his usefulness in New York. Uh, so, you know, it seemed like the drama was done. They kind of got past it during the week. Uh, but then on Friday, uh, Newsday's Al Iannizone, uh published an article, an interview with Mello, where he said if the front office wanted to go in a different direction and start rebuilding for the future, then he would consider waiving his no-trade clause. Um Rosen, in his article, reported Carmelo would only waive it if he was being traded to the Clippers or Cleveland, but Rosen also speculated the Lakers and Toronto could be appealing as well. So, Sarah, what do you think the Knicks should do here? Should they, you know, call Melo's bluff and say, we are looking to rebuild and kind of pressure him into a trade, or should they see how the rest of the season plays out? Is pressuring him into demanding a trade not what they've been doing? Because <laughs> it kind of feels like that is what they've been trying to do. And maybe that's just Phil being Phil. Uh, I really don't know. But I, I don't know what the situation is in New York. It's just strange. It, I don't know what the way forward is either. Because obviously it certainly seems like Phil is not a huge mellow fan. It seems like, he, if anything, he does kind of feel like Melo's out, outlived his usefulness uh, in that city on that team. He He's always making comments about Carmelo holding the ball too much or, you know, whatever. It doesn't seem like he, he wants him there. So it's a strange place to be because obviously he has that no, no trade clause and he wants to be there, Carmelo. So... I don't know. It's it's quite a little uh, battle there. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I God. I it's a shame to me that they couldn't like play out these last few years and kind of enjoy him and find a way to transition, you know, comfortably, entertainingly for the fans. Mm-hmm. It's just devolved into such a mess. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you know, you think of the this, that next team from a couple years ago that would look like an Eastern Conference Finals contender, and it's weird to think that uh, they've fallen this far this quickly. That said, you know, I think there would be some value if they can convince him to waive his no-trade clause and especially expand the teams that he would be willing to go to a little bit more because I don't see... Anyway, you know, unless the Clippers decide to trade Blake for Carmelo or the Cavs decide to trade Kevin Love for Carmelo, (laughs) I don't really see a feasible way he ends up on the Clippers or the Cavs. So if, you know, if the, if the Lakers are like, decide to go win now all of a sudden and decide not to protect their lottery pick and you can get... (laughs) any one of Julius Randle, D'Angelo Russell, or Brandon Ingram with, like, Jordan Clarkson or Larry Nance or, you know, they, they have so many young guys and good assets that you could target. Uh, if you can get one of those, 
by all means. Um, you know, it's it's just it'll really depend on Melo's willingness to accommodate a trade, basically. Like if he won't waive his no trade clause or won't approve where they try to trade him, there's not much the Knicks can do. But you know, mm-hmm. I think even heading into the year, we were all confused by the direction of the franchise because you know you have a guy like Kristaps. Uh, it doesn't really make sense to go into win now mode and sign Derrick Rose and sign or trade for Derrick Rose and sign Joakim Noah to this massive bloated contract. Um, so yeah, if they can somehow tear it down and get Melo get a sizable return for Melo, I think it would really help their long-term future. That said, they're the Knicks, so there is zero chance of this actually happening. I think, if anything, <laughs> Phil Jackson, I think they have a team option on his contract at the end of the year, and maybe maybe they side with Carmelo instead of Phil because, yeah. you know, outside, he's made some good fringe signings. Like, uh, you know, the Kylo Quinn signing was really good. He drafted Kristaps. That was great. Um, but some of his more major moves, the Derrick Rose trade, the Joakim Noah signing, even Courtney Lee, who we signed for like, what, $48, $50 million, and is now playing on the bench behind Ron Baker. Uh, You know, his bigger, splashy moves um, haven't really panned out as anticipated. So maybe it's a matter of, if you're going to take a side, maybe you do take Melo and just let him play out his twilight uh, in New York. But it's not. It, this feels kind of similar to uh, the Kobe Lakers situation. I mean, Carmelo is playing yeah. better than Kobe did in those final few years, but I don't really see a way. It, it feels like the Knicks need to be like this year's Lakers. Like they need to just commit to starting a rebuild, and if they could get picks and young players to put around Porzingis, suck for a few years, and then you know, kind of hit their stride in the, like, coming in 1920, somewhere around there, uh, that that would be the optimal direction. But, again, they're the Knicks, so they're not going to do that. So now, Sarah, for your long-awaited Greg Popovich love fest, we need to talk about your coach, because <laughs> he has gotten surprisingly chatty this week with the media. Um, I think, you know, the, the one that was dominating Twitter on Saturday night prior to that Cavs game. Uh, He went on a four-minute rant about the new president of the United States of America, Mr. Donald Trump. Um, I I will read just one excerpt because I think it, you know, for those who haven't seen it, you should be sure to read the full comments or watch the video. But he said, he was talking about the uh, women's marches that were all across the country on Saturday. And um, Pop then said, quote, I just wish that he was more, had the ability to be more mature enough to do something that really is inclusive rather than just talking and saying, quote, I'm going to include everybody. He could talk to the groups that he disrespected and maligned during the primary and really make somebody believe it. But so far, we've got to a point where you really can't believe anything that comes out of his mouth. You really can't. So, Sarah, uh, do you think, is this just another instance of a sports figure who should, you know, quote, unquote, stick to sports? Or given Pop's extensive military background, he went to the Air Force Academy, I believe he served in the Air Force for a couple years. Do you think these comments carry a little bit more weight? 
Um, you know, I, I don't know that it makes his experience or opinion any more valid than anybody else's, but, but certainly, you know, he, he has every right to answer as much as anybody else too. Um, and people are asking him the questions, so he's going to answer unless he's in a pop mood, but lately he's, lately he's been pretty chatty, as you said. Um, what I appreciate about him is that he generally comes at these things with thoughtfulness. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, and it's not like raw emotion or a response that's like visceral like that. He's, he thinks it through. He, he He's calm. <laughs> and I think, you know, all around the country, if we had a little bit more of that, and he talked about that at the beginning of the season, that it's like civil, civil discourse is kind of dead. And I think, if we had more people like him who would just talk it through, we'd be in a better place right now. Mm-hmm. But so that's what I appreciate most about Pop. Yeah, I, I think that's spot on. Um, you know, I, I would say Pop and Stan Van Gundy have been two of the NBA's most vocal critics of uh, of the president and. You know, in one sense, I just respect the NBA for letting them speak their mind, you know, yeah. compare it to the NFL where, you know, Brady and Bill Belichick uh, basically feel like they can't discuss their support of Trump. Um, so I think it's it's really a nice dichotomy between those two leagues where, you know, these guys, they're coaches, they're professional basketball players, but they're also humans and Americans and they're allowed to have feelings you know, Michael Jordan's famous, you know, even Republicans buy shoes. It's good to see uh, these, you know, Pop and Stan Van Gundy, but also anyone else who wants to speak out. I respect the league for letting them do that um, and exercise their First Amendment rights because yeah. <laughs> Lord knows those are going to be challenged over the coming years. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I do appreciate the thoughtfulness, as you said, that pop approaches this you know it's not he's not just like a bleeding heart liberal kind of doing the rabble 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 thing he's really trying to approach it and say like we you know we he he's showing a lot of empathy um Mm -hmm. which you know for a millionaire (laughs) basketball coach who's so far removed from like an everyday american life i think it's really uh impressive for him to do that because you know a lot of the fans who are rooting for the spurs or for any other team are dealing with the challenges that he's addressing so i think it's uh very powerful for him to use his stand uh as he does (laughs) i am excited for the first time that donald trump tweets about him because you know (laughs) you know that is coming and that's going to be a battle that he will most certainly lose but uh, yeah, I just I wanted to give Pop some well-deserved praise for speaking his mind and for um, you know doing it in a respectful but stern manner in true Popovich fashion. <laughs> uh, so let's go on to our next Pop story of the week. LeBron James, who has said Greg Popovich is the greatest coach of all time. Um, I will read the quote. He said, I think he's the greatest coach of all time. You have to be sharp mentally and physically when you go against his ball club. If you were an NFL player, it's probably the same as going against a Bill Belichick team. 
what they're going to do, they're going to do, and you have to try to figure that out. Uh, LeBron also said Pop coaching Team USA in 2020 factors a lot into his decision of whether to play in the Olympics then when he'll be 35. So Sarah, you made sure that we mentioned this this week. <laughs> Ali oop this one home for me. Thank you. Uh, I mean, as far as what LeBron said, he's not wrong. <laughs> and and a lot of it is for the reasons that he mentioned. Uh, he went on to talk about basically Pop's versatility. And in my opinion, that is a big thing that gives him the edge. Uh, you know, a Mike D'Antoni team is always going to do certain things. And, you know, when you have Stephen Ash or James Harden with a bunch of shooters around him, it's going to look really awesome. And when you have the Lakers or the Knicks, it's, <laughs> it's going to look less awesome. Yep. Um, Phil Jackson is not coaching at the, at the moment, but even now, you're going to have to pry the triangle out of his cold, dead fingers. <laughs> right. You know, and, and Pop has... He's rolled with the punches and with what he has. I mean, I can't think of a coach who's done it better. Of yeah. course, you know, and he'll be the first to tell you that he's had some luck with some terrific players, especially having two number one picks. But, you know, so he's had the chance to outlive rosters, you know, mm-hmm. and adapt to them. But he's done it really well. You know, he he's probably changed more times than we even give him credit for because, you know, we really only talk about the – you know, throw it to Timmy every time, and then, and then the beautiful game. But there were adjustments in there, in between there too. So, it, you know, it was it's Timmy. It was then, you know, okay, Tony and Manu, and opened the floor up. And then they got older, so they had to spread the ball more. And now we see the rise of Kawhi, mm-hmm. and he's really been the most versatile. And then, you know, that's not even talking about the fact that he forges these relationships with these guys off the court, and yeah. that. He, it's a lot more than basketball. So, yeah. He, he Obviously, I'm biased, but I, <laughs> I don't see how you really can put anybody above him. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that point about his versatility especially, like just look at how much the league has changed in the last 20 years or so, especially, you know, in the last couple of years with the increasing influence of the three-point shot and you know mm-hmm. pop has been curmudgeonly about that and has said he's not a huge fan of it but that said he's embraced it and he's yep. figure also figured out ways to stop it um so yeah i mean i think he's got as good of an argument as anyone as you know especially since lebron has been basically alive and like active in the nba there's that's a no contest. He's by far the best coach. It just, yeah. you know, we always joke like the year is 2100 radioactive waste is filling the air and the Spurs <laughs> just won 50 games again. Like it's, you know, it's, it's stunning how long, like their consistency, their, their excellence, their continued excellence and consistency, I think is the most impressive part of what he's done. Because, you know, as you mentioned, they've had, you know, some good luck with players, uh, you know, not only Tim, but Tony Parker and Manu, like hitting on late first and second round picks. But, you know, name another player who didn't go through like some downs in his career, even number one players, you know, like Kobe had a couple of years in the mid 2000s where his team, you know, he's scoring 35 a night and the Lakers sucked. Uh, I feel like MJ is probably the only one once he hit his peak. That was it. <laughs> like he was just <laughs> he was just cruising. But 
yeah, I mean, I think that was some well-deserved praise from LeBron, and I'm excited to hear that, you know, the appointment of Pop to Team USA uh, might encourage him to play in one final Olympics in 2020. That would be amazing. He should definitely play for Pop once. Yeah. I mean, I know Pop was actually on that uh, the staff of the 04 Olympics, but LeBron barely played that year, too, and it was not a great year for, yeah. for USA <laughs> basketball. Right, right. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. You know, that, that's going to be a stacked team as it's been the last couple of years. We've got a lot of fun up-and-coming guys who are only going to make that challenge, uh, you know, the challenge to pare the roster down even more Mm -hmm. difficult, but I think LeBron will have an honorary spot um, no matter what condition he's in in 2020. So let's do two more quick stories about Pop. Uh, One, we don't even have to react to this. I just would like to share that he, you know, now has the key to my heart because he talked (laughs) about the Sixers. Uh, He called it one of the joys in my life to watch them win basketball games because if there's any team that deserves it, it's those guys. Uh, He said they had it really tough for all the obvious reasons, and there's nobody in our business that is more positive and more day-to-day upbeat and ready to teach and love than Brett Brown. He's a unique, unique guy. So I would just like to thank Pop for that because, you know, there is some rumbling earlier in the year about uh, is Brett Brown the right coach for this team, especially when they were, you know, back in the dregs of the season and weren't really showing much progress outside of Embiid. Uh, I think it's become very clear that Brett Brown is the right coach for this team. So uh, having the Popovich stamp of approval mm-hmm. will hopefully make it harder for Brian Colangelo to fire him if he wanted to go that route. But yeah, I wanted to acknowledge Pop for that comment because he, he went out of his way to praise one of his old assistants, which is great. Uh, and the other thing is, so... <laughs> uh, In the Washington Wizards-New York Knicks game on Thursday, uh, Wizards assistant coach Sidney Lowe stood on the court and yelled at Courtney Lee during the the Knicks' final possession, which caused Courtney Lee to think he was a player and caused him to pass (laughs) up a shot. And then the Knicks lost by three points because they didn't get a shot up on their final possession. Uh, Pop came out very strongly against that. He said... The Wizards got off easy. The league only fined low uh, $5,000 and the team 15000 He said, what if that shot costs a playoff game because somebody does that? Maybe that affects the coach being fired, maybe a franchise winning a series. So if you think about it, maybe it's worth it for 5000 10000 to go do that. He suggested they should have larger fines, uh, two hundred fifty grand for the team, and fifty to 75000 for a coach. He said, with penalties that big, quote, everybody would sit their ass down. (laughs) So, Sarah, where do you stand on this this nonsense with coaches standing up? I like it. I mean, it's been a problem for a while, and people have pointed that out, that, you know, maybe Lowe got a little bit unfairly, you know, thrown under the bus for a thing that's been a problem. But you know, whatever it takes to be the thing that, you know, gets this addressed, yes, let's let's get there because, yeah, Pop's been pissed about it for a while. And even I remember a few years back when Mikhail was still coaching the Rockets, uh, they had a game 
and Mikhail was just like he was outside of his coaching box. He was still on the sideline, but he was further down when the Spurs needed to inbound the ball down on that end, kind of by the Rockets bench. And Pop was pissed because, you know, Mikhail's how tall. <laughs> and he was kind of just, you know, nonchalantly standing a little bit in, in the view of whoever was taking the ball out for the Spurs. So, I mean, it, it is. You don't have any business being off your bench. Uh, if you, you know, we watched the video from the Wizards game. The guy has two feet on the court. On the court. Like, mm-hmm. you, there's no reason for that. So, and, and we see that he's not the first guy to do it. And, you know, even in my opinion, the the players and assistant coaches who, who get up and, okay, I guess yelling is okay, but to get up and, you know, lean as close as you can into the shooter's ear, to me it just is so unprofessional. And yeah. It's not, a, it's not a good look for anybody. And Poppy even said that. He's like, you know, we, we, would, we would tell our kids to sit down and behave themselves. And so why are we allowing this in the NBA? And, he, and he's right, so it needs to be addressed. You know, but this is coming from a guy who got what, like a quarter of a million dollar or billion dollar fine? What was it? I think it was two hundred fifty thousand for uh, for sitting players a few years ago, or for sending them home. So yeah, we're talking about stuff that happens on the court. There should probably be a more serious fine because he's right; it could have bigger consequences. Yeah, Pop Pop did say uh, in addition to. His quote from earlier, he also said he's been moaning and groaning about it for a decade when everybody on the bench stands up when someone shoots at three. He said, quote, if you were at your kid's junior high game, you tell the kids to sit down and behave themselves. So why do we get to get up and do that kind of crap? Which is a fair point, I would argue. So, uh, yeah, Zach Lowe of ESPN also called out uh, his his namesake, Sidney Lowe, uh, (laughs) during his Friday column and said that that basically this stuff is ridiculous and you know it did it really did affect a the outcome of a game so yeah it seems like the nba really needs to be a little bit more vigilant about uh you know preventing that from occurring because pop's right like (laughs) could you imagine the controversy if that actually did the swing the outcome of a playoff game it would be insane so yeah uh Kudos to Pop all around. Great week for him in terms of <laughs> speaking of his mind and being on the right side of issues. So good work, Pop. Uh, let's now finish things up with our weekly My Crush segment where we shine a spotlight on a guy who deserves a little more recognition than he's getting. So Sarah, who's your crush of the week? It's DeJounte Murray. And I know I've been an incredible homer the last three episodes. And I'm not even sorry. <laughs> I'm not even sorry. Um, Murray, you know, we talked about him as being kind of an X factor and remains to be seen how much, you know, how much impact he's going to be able or allowed to have in the postseason this year. But I think he's earning a lot of uh, trust right now. And one of the, the biggest things in my mind is how he impacts the Spurs' transition points, um, because for the last several years, the Spurs have been pretty pedestrian in that aspect of the game. And if you just look at the, the past four games the Spurs have played, um, you know, the, the last game versus the Cavs, they had 25 fast break points, uh, versus the Nuggets, they had 21. And then the two previous games when DeJounte did not play, you got uh, 
15 fast break points and 14. And they lost uh, that category to the opponent both those times. So he just gives them uh, another attack that they haven't had as much of in a while. Uh, he also became, I think, the youngest spur to score. I think he had 24 points the other night uh, and broke a record of Tony Parker's. So it's really encouraging um, just to have a young guy who's on that level again. And I think, you know, yeah, he's still working on his shot, but he was like three of five from three the other night. Um, so he's definitely shown the aptitude and the work ethic to get that corrected and still working on turnovers. But last night he kept him down. So really excited about the future for him. Yeah, that is a great pick, Sarah. Uh, I mean, you know, we we said it when they drafted him. Like, this is going to be the annual Spurs get a guy in the late 20s, and he turns <laughs> out to be way better than anyone expected. And he's like, yeah, I mean, at this point, you, you kind of have to expect him to be the heir apparent to Tony Parker whenever he finally, you know, slows down a little bit and moves into a bench role. Because uh, you have to figure, I think in a... In Zach Lowe's column on Friday, he also said the, the league has figured out how good Patty Mills is. So mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to figure Patty Mills uh, might be moving on, much like Corey Joseph did. But yeah, I mean, I've also been very impressed by Mr. Murray. Um, and it's just, again, the Spurs stay the Spurs, no matter. <laughs> Tony Parker goes down, Pau Gasol goes down, they replace it with the rookie, David Lee, who was cast off from his last two teams, and they're still winning games against the freaking Cavaliers. So... Once again, Popovich, you are the GOAT. (laughs) Um, My crush of the week, he's starting to get some well-deserved praise, but I don't think we recognize just how good this guy is. Nikola Jokic, uh, you know, he had a really rocky start to the year. He got benched at a point because he was just not coexisting very well with Yusuf Nurkic. Um... Since he's been put back into the starting lineup on December 15th, so it's a 16-game span, he is averaging 20.3 points on 64% shooting, nearly 10 rebounds, and 5 assists a game, including also about nearly a 3, 0.8 blocks, and 0.6 steals. Here's the kicker in 27.9 minutes per game. (laughs) He's been playing out of his freaking mind. He had 35 points and 12 rebounds against your Spurs on yep. Thursday. I mean, the dude is a monster. It was coaching malpractice to not prioritize him uh, since the start of the year. He has clearly emerged as Denver's best player. Um, and it sounds like uh, ESPN.com's Mark Stein reported they are looking to move Nurkic by the trade deadline because they realize they can't really coexist and they <laughs> they chose the right one. I hope the Sixers could follow their lesson. But yeah, they, they realize uh, the gem they have in Jokic. I would just advise everyone, go on YouTube and just look at the, some of the passes this guy throws. It's unreal. Um, you know, I we talk about you know, kind of the quote-unquote unicorn big men in the league. And, you know, Anthony Davis is in there, Embiid, Porzingis, Carl Anthony Towns, even Miles Turner gets some love. Jokic deserves to be in that conversation. He may not be uh, as good, especially as a two-way player, as some of those other guys. He's got room to grow in that area for sure. But just for whatever it's worth, 
in those games since uh, Jokic has been moved back into the starting lineup, Denver has the second best offense in the league, trailing only your Spurs. <laughs> no, yeah, I just say we we should honestly pick him about once a month at least yeah. for the segment, and we, <laughs> we pretty much have, I think. Right. But yeah, it's especially since he probably will not count as unheralded for too much longer. Right. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's nice to see. I'm just happy Malone finally has kind of prioritized him and said, you know, he's our leader, and we, we're running everything through him. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's just, it's insane how good he is. Um, yeah. And I really, you know, we, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about how, you know, Jimmy Butler trade rumors, that how Denver fans aren't willing to include Jokic <laughs> in any deal. Right. Like, if the Bulls could get Jokic in a Jimmy Butler deal, they need to pull the trigger right now. Because that guy, he's the truth. He's going to be a monster. And if you want to go in on a long-term rebuild... Like, that's not a bad place to start. Mm-mm. All right, so that's going to do it this week for the NBA podcast. Thank you all for joining us, as always. Uh, again, just remember to follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find all three of our Twitter handles in the bio, so check us out there as well. Uh, you can see us on iTunes. Be sure to subscribe, download, leave some reviews. We'd love any feedback. And follow FanRag Sports on Twitter at FanRag Sports. Also for the NBA-centric content, FanRag NBA. As always, I'm Brian Tapork, and I was joined by Sarah Chalea. Sarah, it was great talking to you. You too. Take care. All right, you too. Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine & More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine & More. And more. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in-store or online at TotalWine.com. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clothes. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance.